morning. Good to see everyone here. I know you lost an hour of sleep, so I apologize for that. And uh, we have been looking at this series called God and Politics, and we're looking at how God, not the politicians, should be the focus of our hope. It's very, very important to remember that. We have to put our hope in God fully through this season. We were reminded of that every election year, that God is our only hope. Uh, this is this is critical. Don't lose uh, a firm grip of that perspective. Keep placing your hope in God. Last week we looked at the connection between, there's a vital connection between a government which draws on truth and has a standard of truth. It looks to some source of truth uh, in, in how laws are formed and how people are governed. And so there's a connection. We looked at that last week. And, and the importance of having drawing from the Scripture to, to inform uh, laws. And, and, and so we, we talked about the, uh, the history and, and just how things have been shifting in our country. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the privilege that it is for us to, to have the ability to influence our government for good. We, we have a voice, and so we have this tremendous opportunity and privilege to be involved in, in this area. Now, now I want to... You have a listening guide, so you're welcome to pull that out. A passage of Scripture we're going to look at in Jeremiah 29. Uh, but before we really get to that, today, I want to I think with you, and, and I want you to ask yourself, what is my approach to this area? What is my mindset? What does it look like? And am I being extreme in any in any way as I approach this area of, of politics? Ask yourself that question. Am I being extreme? How am I engaging with this whole area? For for over the last you know two thousand years since Jesus walked the earth, Christians have been taking very different and somewhat extreme approaches to engaging the world and the culture in which we live. Again, since Christ's you know, resurrection and ascension, Christians, His followers, have been taking different approaches, sometimes extreme approaches, to how they live in this world. And now, if you've decided to give your life to Christ, then your destiny has changed. You have a home in heaven. You're heading to heaven, and you're actually on a journey towards heaven. And you'll experience life as God intended it to be for all eternity. And since we have that promise of heaven, some people have taken an approach that we'll call the simply passing through approach to life in this world. I'm just passing through this life. I'm heading to heaven. I'm on a journey. And I'm passing through earth in my time here. I'm just passing through. Now Jesus in His trial before, before Pilate, the Roman governor of, of Judea, He was questioned and the question that, that Pilate, the governor, asked Jesus was, you say you're the king. Are you the king? Right? That was what he wanted to know. If you're the king, then why did your people hand you over to, to the leadership, to the authorities? Why were you handed over if you're the king? You don't do that with the king. And Jesus' reply in John 18 was this. He said, my kingdom is not, what? Not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. He said, if, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, it's not from the world. Now, if the crucifixion were the end of the story, and these were His final words, then life on earth would have looked radically different. But Jesus 
resurrected from death. He, he resurrected, he conquered death, sin, the grave, and he commissioned his followers to make their lives about spreading this message, to spreading his message all around. And they were to tell people about Jesus, and they were inviting people to trust Jesus with their life, and they were to take this message to, you know, to their area, their region, and then all around as far as possible. This, this simply passing through mindset can be extreme. Some people, they, there's a phrase, it's, you're, you're so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. You're, you're, you're so focused on heaven that you're not useful here and now. And, that, and it grows out of this, I'm simply passing through this life mindset. What that can do is it can create a passive, a very disengaged approach to living. Uh, some people are literally hunkered down in this life. They're hunkered down like in one of these. They're headed to heaven and in the meantime, they go, they're in the, they're in the tornado shelter. They're hunkered down, they're holding on. We, I've never experienced a tornado. Has anybody here ever experienced a tornado? Like, had to, you know, I know some, okay, there's some people from Oklahoma, Texas, and you know, you, you know, Northern California, right? No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, with a tornado, I guess that's what you do. You, you hunker down. You, you go into the, into the storm shelter and you hang in there and you wait for this tornado to just pass by and then you come out. Now, the simply passing through mindset, the person who's doing this is not engaging with the issues of today because the world is corrupt, right? It's breaking down. It's, it's storms are raging. And so the temptation is just to think, man, I'm not of this world. Jesus said we're not of this world. And so I'm not going to engage. I'm just going to be passive in, in areas related to politics and government and all of that. So that's one approach. That's an extreme approach, but it is one. Others focus on how another approach is how, how our country was founded as a Christian nation on the truths of the Bible. Since this is the case, some have taken what one man calls a God and country, wrap the flag around the cross mindset about our country. This is a familiar like image, right? Especially, you know, just the cross and the flag. Like, you know, you, if you Google this, you'll find all sorts of tattoos of people with the cross and the flag. And it's, it's, it's driven from our nationalism and, and our patriotism. And, and we, you know, I was born in this country and, and at, you know, every 4th of July, like, one of the traditions I have is I like to go watch the fireworks blow off at Mount Rubidoux and I, we turn on Cola, the radio station, and they play like continuous, you know, patriotic music. And, and, and I, I mean, one of my favorite songs is God Bless the USA. You know, and I think I hear it go on and I kind of like hug my wife and look at my, you know, look at my kids and I just like, from the hills of Carolina. <laughs> To the something, something, to, and you're just, you feel, and it's, I mean, I don't know if you've had that experience before, but it's kind of like it's, it's a, almost a spiritual experience, I felt that, or there's songs, God Bless America, or America the Beautiful, and there's all of these things that, you know, God has graced thee with, you know, and I, God truly has blessed our country, hasn't He? I mean, He has blessed America. We've experienced God's kindness. But this kind of thinking can become extreme. This can create extreme thinking. If you don't separate the U.S. 
from the kingdom of God, and if you see the U.S. and the kingdom of God as one and the same, then you run into problems. But some people do that. Some folks are deeply shaken right now when it seems like the U.S. is veering away. God's country is veering away from God's truth. And when you, if you see the U.S. and the kingdom of God as the same thing, then this season, this world that we're living in can feel quite disturbing to you. Another extreme mindset is, is you know, political activism. It can get extreme. Our, our, you know, the thought is that you know, our le- last best hope for America is to, to stand up and to fight. We need to reclaim culture for Christ. And so, you know, you can get extremely involved in boycotting and protesting and, and so on. And so, with all of these different mindsets, what's the right approach? That's the question we're raising this morning. What is the right approach? What approach should we take? What approach do I currently have? Think about it. What's your approach right now? Are you hunkered down? Just like you, you hear the storm raging and you're like, I'm, I'll come out when it's safe. I'll come out when, when this person gets elected or, or when these things start changing. or you know, what, What's your mindset? God's kingdom and God's rule is above any government. Our ultimate loyalty, we've been saying, really belongs to Him. And so it does not, our ultimate loyalty does not belong to any specific government over us. At the same time, God has placed you and me here in this country for a purpose. He expects us to do more than just wait it out. He doesn't want us just to wait it out and hunker down right now. So there's a passage of Scripture I want to look at. And this deals with, this gives us a great deal of insight into God's expectations for people in relation to the world that they live in, the society that they live in. This is found in Jeremiah 29. It's a commonly quoted, there's a commonly quoted verse that is often taken radically out of context. And so we're not even going to read the verse 11. But that's the one that everyone loves to quote for about everything in life. Um, it, it's, a, it's a hopeful verse, verse 11, 29-11. But we're going to look at verses 5-9. through 9, But it will actually help you understand why verse 11 exists in, in there. What, what the, the historical kind of context was for that. But in this passage, this is written from Jeremiah the prophet to the people of Israel who were in exile in a foreign land. Babylon. The exile, God's people were carried away and disciplined and, and sent to be captive in another country in Babylon. They were being disciplined by God through this foreign country. God sent in the foreign king and God was working through this process of, of punishment and judgment upon His people because God's people had turned away from following God. They were no longer following God. This is the God who had done miraculous things to establish them as a nation and they had forsaken Him. And so God brought discipline. And this was... There was many waves to God's discipline. This was one of the final waves of God's discipline. This is near pretty much the end of the point where God and goes silent in the sense of He's not speaking to His people through prophets much after this period of time. And, and so the Jews, God's people, were... were they were... They were taken captive. They were prisoners in a foreign land. They were in Babylon. Now, the Babylonians were barbaric people. They, weren't, they were barbarians. They were not the kind of barbarians you see in movies. They were the real thing. They were really bad. They were savage. They were brutal in their way of life. The way they, they lived was polar opposite, opposite of God's ideas you know, for how people ought to treat each other. And, and So God's people were very concerned with holiness and purity. And that's what God... 
called his people to a certain standard. Well, living in Babylon was like they were in a very, very dirty environment, very filthy environment, very unclean environment. And they'd been conquered. And so they, they, they had no rights there. And this was kind of a disgusting new place for them to live. Now imagine for a second, to, to gain an understanding of what it must have felt like, imagine being kidnapped by a drug cartel. Imagine, you're kidnapped by a drug cartel and you're taken back to their city and now you're under their control and there's, and there's no way out. And you just got to figure out, what do I do now? So the instructions given to God's people in Babylon that gives us guidance for the role that people are to play when they're in a foreign land and they're just trying to figure out, what do we do now? How do we survive this? And here's what we see. We see this. We see that God plants His people in nations to seek the good of the society in which we live. This is true for us now. This is true. This was true for, for God's people about 2,600 years ago when this was written. God does this. He plants His people in nations. You know, this is true for people in, you know, God's people in, in the Middle East right now. This is true for people in, in, you know, in any country. God is he's planting all of these people who will seek the good of a society where they currently live. This is a very helpful passage because right now, heaven is our ultimate destination if you're a Christ follower, but we're currently living in a foreign land. And in a sense, we should be able to really identify with God's people at this point. So look at, look at Jeremiah 29, verse 5. It says, build houses and live in them. Jeremiah says, build houses and live in them. This is a letter to the exiles in Babylon. Build houses, live in them. Now, false prophets had suggested that, hey, you're not going to be there very long. You're just passing through. They were spreading that message. You're passing through. But God, through Jeremiah the prophet, He told them here, lay down roots. You're going to be there for a while. Look what He says. Plant gardens and eat their produce, you know. Start living off the land. Life needs to go on as normal. You don't like it here. It's dirty here. It's not clean here. Plant gardens. Eat the produce. Then he says this, verse 6, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. You know, Have children, have grandchildren, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not... Decrease there. Multiply, thrive in this country that you're living in, in Babylon. Take pleasure in seeing your families grow up, be built up and multiplied. This is a very, very different perspective than this whole, I'm just passing through mindset. Verse 7, very key verse. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of that city that I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. So there's these false prophets. He says, do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So there were these people that were spreading falsehood about life and and their perspective. And so... 
And we have that today, obviously. We have messages that we need to detect and we need to discern what's right, what's wrong. You know, there's people making promises right now in election year. What's right, what's wrong? Who should we trust? God's saying here in this passage, look, don't check out and hit the pause button on living life, but carry on in a way that promotes the welfare of the place in which you currently live. For them it's Babylon, for us it's Southern California. Beyond that, he says, pray to God. Get down on your knees, pray to God, plead with God, and ask God to bless the people, the place of, who live in this place. Because if, they, if it's good for them, that's going to benefit you as well. Pray for their welfare, because that, that's going to that's impact your livelihood. Seek the welfare of this city. Now, this, this guidance is really helpful as far as what's our role to play in government. In our country, we have many privileges to influence and to seek the good of our country. Governments and, and, and their laws, they provide a gatekeeper function for its people. This is what the government does. It, they provide... The laws themselves set boundaries. It's like a gatekeeper. The laws tend to, to teach us, and especially children, laws tend to teach people what is morally acceptable. We tend to think this. If it's legal, it must be okay. Right? As long as it's legal, it must be okay. Our kids, they learn this. This is, this is against the law. Okay, that's morally wrong. That's, this is bad. They start learning right and wrong. They learn this in school. They learn this from their from their friends, oh, that's, that's, we're breaking the law. Or, you know, from their parents, don't break the law. Laws are important. In this way, laws act like a gatekeeper for a society. When something harmful is legalized, what it does is it opens the gateway for many to explore the path when they would not otherwise have explored it. They would not have went down that path when the gate was shut. But now, the gate's open, so all of a sudden, people begin to Engaged in things. So we as a group of people are to be engaged in seeking the welfare, the good of our society. We need to pray and ask God, God, would you help those who write laws? Would you, would you help those in government to really seek the welfare of, of our people as a country? Would you help, and like we looked at last week, would you help them draw from truth? To know how to lead and how to govern, how you've designed life to work. Now, now we're a, probably a pretty mixed bag in this room. If I were to ask everyone to stand up and just kind of declare in a statement, tell tell me about your political stance. You know, we'd be a pretty mixed group, right? We're not going to do that. Don't worry. But some of you here, you, you've read a lot of articles. You read and read, and you're you're. you're you're watching things online. You're watching news. You're, you understand policies. You understand where the country seems to be heading. Others of you here, you post a lot on social media regarding politics. Some of you here, you'd, you'd rather not be informed because right now, there's just you're focused on some other things. You're too busy for politics. Others of you here, uh, you might value being informed, but but you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to get tangled in any type of debate. You'd rather you just have your you know private convictions, but you don't want to engage in discussion with others. That makes you feel uncomfortable. So the big question, what, what's best for each one of us based on the privileges we've been given? I've given you a, a brief list here. Five things, five ways to influence government for good. So the first one is this. It's vote. And we're going to move through these pretty quickly. It's vote. We still live in a nation, in a free nation, and it's a right and a privilege to be able to vote. Voting is the most practical way to be engaged. 
in the direction of our country because all of our votes matter. Voting matters. It's a stewardship that God has entrusted to citizens. You know, and in a democracy, it's a stewardship we should not neglect. We should vote. To vote out of our conscience means that we take our vote seriously. We need to be informed as a voter. Last week we looked at understanding God's viewpoints on, on issues and allowing the Bible to inform and build convictions. We, we handed out a sheet of what the Bible says about a variety of current issues. But another aspect of being informed as a voter is understanding what do the different candidates say and how does that align within the biblical worldview. There are some helpful third-party websites you can check out. One of those is... It's procon.org, which it's a nonpartisan website which looks at some of the important issues of the election and where each candidate lands on social issues. And so for you know for this year's election, you can you can go to this website and you can begin to understand what do each of these candidates um, say, what is the what is their communication record, what is their voting record on these issues in their in their previous uh, roles in government. Hundreds of thousands of men and women have sacrificed for the freedoms to protect and preserve the freedoms that we enjoy. And so one way to honor their sacrifice is to to be informed and then to vote. Participate at least at that level. Secondly, another way to engage with with the government is to communicate with those who represent us. Since we live in a democratic society, government leaders, they represent the people and we have a duty to communicate with them about our views so that they can speak for the people. They can do the best with their job and the role that they've been given. Now, Paul, who was a Christian leader in the first century, he, he did this as well. He would speak up to those in, in authority. He was on trial at one point for spreading Christianity and he wouldn't be silent about it. And He was put on trial. And at one point, we see him trying to reason with one leader who was overseeing his case. This is in Acts 24, verse 24 through 25. It says, After some days, Felix, Felix was... He was the Roman governor in the region. He was married to a Jewish lady named Drusilla, who Drusilla was curious about what Paul had to say. She, was, she seemed open. Now look what happened. After some days, Felix, the governor, came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul. And he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness, so Paul's reasoning with him about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. And he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Whatever Paul specifically told him was alarming to Felix, and so it made, but it made an impact. Paul took the opportunity to share what was most important to him. God provided the opportunity and Paul was faithful to speak up. And so it may, it's hard for us to know, how do we communicate with the government leaders how, how do we do that? There, there's some good organizations that I'll mention to you here that can kind of help you keep track of social and faith-based issues that you know they can notify you about important votes and petitions that you can sign and also they can help you learn how to email constituents at key times. And so here, here's a listing of a few of them. The first one is the AFA, American Family Association. You might want to jot these down. You can explore their websites. You can sign up for articles that they send out, emails. Another one is the Family Research Council. Two, about two years ago, I think I, I was, you know, I'll be honest, I was, I, I think in some ways I can identify with the just passing through. Like I was disengaged somewhat in this area. And so I, I started reading more and subscribed to uh, a more regular email that comes from Family Research Council. Because it's important. It's important to understand how, how do we, 
what is being voted on and how would I, how would I express my voice, my approval, my disapproval? What, what would that look like? And so this, this uh, group can help with that. Another one is the American Center for Law and Justice. But check these websites out. Communicating with our leaders is just a real practical way to express the concerns that you may have. And those would be really important for those who are leading in our country. The third way to to be involved is to carry on reasonable conversations. This whole area of politics, it can bring up emotions that we did not even know we had. (laughs) This can really incite people. It can cause fear. It can, uh, you know, but it's also a great time to talk with people about their views. And why they think a certain way, and to and to listen. This time of year gives us a glimpse into another person's worldview and their own story. If we'll listen, and if we can put people over politics, then that can be pretty. That can be very productive. So you might want to jot that down. You know, as I'm having a conversation with someone who I disagree with, I can put I can put that person over politics out of kindness and love to them. So I can listen to what they're saying. I may not agree, but I can learn about what makes that person tick. And I can maybe through that, I can communicate just how valuable they are to God. I can express God's love as I interact with them, as I love them, as I serve them. Politics can bring up opportunities to talk about our faith if, we'll, if we will handle this carefully. It can also repulse people if we, if we are careless in the way that we interact. The fourth way is to step up involvement in church life or continue involvement in church life. One of the primary ways to influence the world around, around us is to plug into the church community that God has placed you. A major role of the church is to be a light of the world. And so when you move towards the church community and you begin serving and sacrificing and building relationships within the church, the outcome is not just contained within these walls. As we invest in the church in, in Orange Crest Community Church, that blesses the neighborhood we live in, the city that we live in. There, there have been studies. Look at some of these things that show how churches make a difference. First, it helps churches help crime decrease. There's a decrease in crime and deviance. There's promotion of education and civic engagement. There's social benefits through volunteering and outreach events. There's direct economic benefits. We, we've, we've seen some of this too. Like the very first bullet up here, myself and a couple other guys from our church, some on staff, some in our safety team, have attended a, a police pastor or a police and clergy partnership meeting. A couple of, there have been two meetings and we've attended those. The city of Riverside put it on. And at those meetings, the chief of police he spoke about this whole issue of we, we want healthy churches here. We thank you for what you do. And they're, they're grateful for the investment that we're making as churches to try to help people learn to walk with God. Because even though in their language of what we're doing here, they see the benefit that that adds to Riverside and to this part of the Inland Empire. And they, they, they talk about this issue of, of, of Crime and, and reduced crime as people learn to get their lives on track. There's the connection. There's a connection. And so you being involved, it really does help the, the good of this society. As you're investing your time in serving here, you might think, oh, what, what, what difference is it making? Well, no, it's really it's making a difference. There are people who've come through our doors whose lives, all of us, I'd say at points, our lives have been a mess, Right? 
But there's some that are right on the edge of shipwrecking their lives and taking other people down with them. And and, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ has turned lives around to where that did not have to happen and God turns a heart around, turns a life around. And in our society, we benefit from that. There's also social benefits through, through volunteering. This third point up here, when we did our Orange Crestival, this was on our heart. We wanted people to benefit in the community through the Orange Crestival, through the movie night, because we just gather people to have a fun time meeting their neighbors and just watching a movie out on a lawn with their neighbors and interacting with people that they maybe hadn't interacted with and just be like, man, we live in a, we live in a, in a, in a setting where we can do this. Um, but there, there's economic benefits. When we buy products for events, that, that benefits the community. When you go out to lunch with your friends after church, that, that benefits local businesses and establishments. And so, there's a verse, uh, Colossians three sixteen and 17. These verses talk about the quality of, as Christ, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as, as Christians do life, there's this uh, benefit to their community because there's this thankfulness there's this gratefulness there's this attitude and this spirit of, of, of what God is doing and that, that that impacts the lives of people around us because the gospel and relationship with Jesus Christ is transformative and the transformation blesses those around us and it blesses the communities in which we live the last key way is to pray and I keep coming back to this because it's so important First uh, Timothy two, verses one through three is a helpful guide for praying for our leaders in government. This this verse or this passage highlights the need to ask God to give us leaders who will allow us to live as God intends us to. But look at look what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we, we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. If you pause there for a second, pray for the kings, pray for the leaders. Why? Well, so that we could live a peaceful and quiet life, godly life, dignified in every way, so that we could, we could grow up in our faith, so that we can walk with God in obedience. We're, we need to pray that God would give us leaders who would allow for that to happen. In this last verse, he says, to pray in this way, verse 3, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. What? That we pray. That we pray for people. That we pray for our leaders and authority. May this be our prayer. This letter from Paul to Timothy echoes what Jeremiah 29.7 says where, where Jeremiah said, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. There's a connection. We're, we're, to, we're to be concerned about the government, the leaders. Let's not just be people who are just passing through this life and disengaged, hunkered down. Let's be people who who engage in meaningful ways using the guidance that God gives us from the Scripture to really influence our government for good. I want to invite our worship team to join me up here on the stage. and, and Next week we're going to wrap up this series talking about how do you respond when an election does not go like you hoped? You know, basically, what if, what if the propositions and what if, what if the you know, your 
your candidate does not get elected, what do you do? How will you respond in November? And there, and then, what are the limits to following? Are there limits? And we're going to look at that. I was planning to look at that this week. I'm going to look at it next week. Is what are the limits to following? How far do you follow if a government gets? You know, how far off track do we need to to follow? Let's look at that next week. I want to invite you to come back and and here's some next steps on the back of your uh, connection card. You'll see these as well as on your listening guide. Just some ways to apply this morning's message. The first one is pick a method of influence to apply this election season. Of those five areas, which of those do you think you need to maybe begin taking that that action? Is it I need to vote? I've never voted before. I've never. I'm not even registered to vote. Maybe you need to register to vote, or maybe you need to begin to just read up on the candidates. Maybe subscribe to one of those uh, organizations just to learn more about. What's going on in our government? What are what are the laws that are being passed right now? How how can I communicate with leaders? The second next step is ask God to show me if I'm being extreme in any way in my approach to politics. Maybe you've taken an extreme mindset and maybe God's showing you that this morning and so I encourage you to consider that. Well, let's pray. We're going to pray and we'll be receiving the offering in just a few moments. Father, thank You for this time. Thank you for your kindness to speak to us through uh, through the Bible. And Lord, we, as we get into the Bible, as we understand what you've been doing in history and in the lives of your people and then the instruction you give to the church, Lord, we can see and understand how to navigate through this world. We don't have to live uh, aimlessly or we don't have to wander, wondering and making, up it, making it up as we go. We don't have to trust our emotions. We don't have to trust our feelings. We don't have to get swept away in fear and frustration, Lord. We can trust in You. You can help us, Lord. You are our ultimate hope. Our loyalty belongs to You. Thank You for being present with us. Thank You for being especially with us in this world, Lord. As Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. We are, we are not of this world, but Lord, You have assigned us a role to play in this world, here and now. So God, we thank You for the promise and the hope of heaven. Help us to be engaged in meaningful ways here and now. Lord, we ask You to bless the offering we're about to receive. We pray, Lord, that You would continue to provide for the ministry and the needs that, that we have as a congregation. We thank You so much for those that faithfully give to support the work of ministry here. And we, we ask, Lord, that You would continue to bless and provide for us, Lord, in all areas. Help us to be good stewards of all that You've entrusted to us, Lord. We ask for your help in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.